welcome to the Music City Bowl edition of Boilers Extra. I'm Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier, along with Mike Carmen, and we'll be down in Nashville covering the game next week, or I guess it'll be this week by the time you hear this. But uh, yeah, full disclosure, we're taping this. We are recording this pre-holidays. <laughs> yes, none of neither of us are going to come in on Christmas and do this. So. Well, as much us, as we appreciate all of us you. won't be in the state, that's why. That, that too. <laughs> when, when do you go down to Nashville? I'll be leaving. I don't, maybe all the policemen will be on hiatus on Monday, and they will have their radar guns out. But I'll be <laughs> driving down. On, I'll, be, I'll be there on Christmas Eve. The way you paused there, I thought you were worried like maybe someone's going to come and like to your house, know that you're out of town or whatever. But no, you're just worried about getting a speeding ticket on 65. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can understand that. Um, but we, uh, although but we, the urgency to go down is not as great as the urgency coming back, understood. Yes, and uh, I'll be coming back. I'll be going down the night before coming back in time to cover Purdue's final home non-conference basketball game of the season on the 29th against Belmont. Um, but today, this is all about football, and it was interesting as I was preparing for this to think back to before the season when we all, both of us, predicted Purdue would go six and six. And then it's hard to say that this almost became the best case scenario because there was a moment where if they win and the right teams lose, now they're in contention for a Big Ten West championship. But at that 0-3 point, this really did seem like if they could get back to this and maybe even get specifically to this bowl, that this was almost the best case scenario for Purdue. It's, it was just odd how this season played out from a postseason perspective. Yeah, at 0-3, I'm thinking, eh, I'm going to be home for Christmas. <laughs> I don't have to worry about a bowl game. I'm going to eat and hot then, chicken in Indianapolis. And then, and then beating it, then they beat Ohio State. I'm like, oh, maybe in Florida for a New Year's <laughs> Day bowl type of thing. And not that we look ahead all the time, but. We do, we do. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been a it's been a weird year. Uh, you know, probably you know at a different level than last year because really going into the year we really didn't know what to expect from that team. And once they got into it, you, you you had a you had a better idea. They still had to fight and scratch and claw to get to a bowl game, kind of like what this team had to do. Some of it self inflicted. Uh, other other things they you know you know losing to to Michigan State was. You know, not not a surprise. The way they got beat at Minnesota was a surprise, and you know, just starting zero and three, and then picking themselves up off the mat to beat you know to to cap that that stretch with a win uh, against Ohio State. You thought, okay, well they're on their way, and then steps back, step forward, you know, until you get to the to the very end, and they have to beat Indiana to go to the bowl game, which they did, which is the exact same scenario <laughs> which happened right. last year. But you know, even Six and six last year, you're just happy to be in a bowl, I think. Yeah. You just go wherever they send you. Even if it was all the way out to California. It's all about the matchups, I think, at, at this point for for Purdue. And they're able to end their season on a on a really positive note. Same situation this year where you you're you're in a better bowl from a I guess travel standpoint. More of your fans are gonna be able to go. Maybe also from a prestige standpoint yeah. too. Well, it's a it's a little it's just a different bowl, different location. Uh, you're playing an SEC team instead of a, a, a Pac-12 team, so winning a bowl game like this would would bring more respect to your program. So there's a lot of you know different factors in that, but you could say the same thing if they went to New York or they went to uh, um, w- Jacksonville, Florida, or you know somewhere Not else. Not Detroit. Not Detroit. That's but, really what you're although saying. Although you or you'd be playing and you'd be playing an ACC team in Detroit. Uh, so it wouldn't be all 
all bad. But right, right. There's different levels of you know what of the bowls and who you're playing, but this clearly is an opportunity for Purdue to kind of put the cap on another good year, uh, not a great year, but a good year that you hope builds and leads to something bigger down the line. Well, I do wonder if someday we'll look back and think about this season and how important it was that Jeff Brom and staff could cobble something together that where they had the same regular season record as the year before, and yet it still seems like a step forward for this program in a lot of ways. No, that's that's absolutely true. Because if you do win this bowl game, it will be, even though you'll have the exact same record. But you, you'll go back and look at who you beat, uh, especially who you beat in the bowl game, and the wins, the, the 3-0 record against ranked teams. Uh, so in a lot of ways, it will be viewed as a step forward for this program and the fact that you kept your coach. You kept Brom. You kept this thing going together. He's hot off the heels of a, uh, a highly rated recruiting class. A lot of these guys are going to come in and try to help next year and be instant impact players. Uh, and therefore you can maybe push that, push the program forward. Just, to, uh, maybe a, maybe a bigger step next year, not only in terms of terms of wins, getting more than six wins in the regular season, but also just in terms of on the field play and the type of players that you're putting out there. So I know that everyone has their Nashville hotspots to go to. I've been there a couple times. Um, I really enjoy it. Um, if you're looking for like Nashville history, I would. Uh, I really don't like the touristy area, the Broad Street or whatever it's called. I feel it's a bunch of like just crappy cover bands for the most part. Go search out the, like the real music spots. Ryman Auditorium is good. Um, Nashville Hot Chicken, obviously, if you're into food. And my pick to click is. Uh, Pancake Pantry, which is a place, I think it's on 21st Avenue, something like that, but great breakfast place, renowned breakfast place. That's my tip to the the Purdue fans who are going to be going down there. And just from a geographic standpoint, how big do you think it is that they're able to get to a bowl like this? It's, it's an easy trip for the Purdue fans as opposed to last year. And not only that, but you're still on the outskirts of the region that Brahm and his staff have um, – prioritized from a recruiting standpoint and it's an area that they already have some experience with from where they were before it would seem like if especially if they can win but just to be there and have a presence for a couple of weeks potentially helps this program in, in another way it does um and you know jeff coached at western kentucky which is about an hour away from nashville so there are people that still remember him that are loyal to him faithful to him regardless of where he goes. So they'll probably draw some people from a fan standpoint from Bowling Green. There are a lot of people on his staff and then his support staff that worked in Bowling Green longer than Jeff Brom did. So th- there's that connection. But then when you look at the recruiting side of it, it's probably on the, the outskirts of his 300-mile radius that he talked about uh, when he came here. But they've got two signees now from the Nashville area. Uh, you have to fight off SEC teams more in Nashville than you, you do other places. But, I mean, he's shown and his staff has shown that they're not, a, they're not afraid of going against anybody uh, from a recruiting standpoint. So you'll be curious what comes out of this down the line. If Purdue's able to win, maybe win in an impressive fashion, make a bit of a statement, does that draw more – um, draw more recruits and high school coaches to look at Purdue a little bit more closer. 
uh, especially at the skill positions, because that's what they're going to be featured, uh, you know, in the, you know, in this game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can say today what the benefit will be. I, th- I think you have to wait and see how this game plays right. out. And, and even if they lose the game, it doesn't mean nobody's ever going to look at Purdue from the Nashville area right. again. Right. It's just, it doesn't work that way. Uh, but you want to go down there, put on a good showing, um, and you're going to have a lot of fans there. I, I, I think Purdue's going to have more fans there than Auburn, which probably would surprise a lot of people. I mean, Purdue sold out of its, its, its allotment quickly um, and then added three more thousand to that. So just based on what they sold out of Purdue, that's 11,000. Mm-hmm. That doesn't even count people going to StubHub, uh, other secondary markets, buying directly from the bowl. Uh, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if Purdue had 20,000, maybe 25,000 is a bit too optimistic, but I, I think Purdue is going to have a good showing in part. I think people are, are, are just really excited about this football program. The fact that Jeff Brom stayed, uh, they see what's going on. They see, you know, what's coming in, uh, you know, basketball's a little bit down, so they got to have something to, <laughs> have something to cheer for a, a little bit, but I, I do think that this, the whole the whole thing that happened with this season, the win over Ohio State, even the Tyler Trent story, all that is kind of wrapped into one where uh, this is a way for Purdue to put a really nice bow on this this season. And if they can come out with a win, it would just make it that much better. Geographically, it seems almost like a perfect scenario. From the, you, know, you get to have a full holiday. If you're just a Purdue fan, you get to have your full holidays if you're – if you celebrate Christmas or if you don't, whatever, but you get your full time. You're, you don't have to buy a plane ticket. You really don't even have to get a hotel room if you don't want to. It's not that bad of a drive really from depending on where you are in Indiana. If you're from Indianapolis or farther south, it's not a, a terrible drive. Um, or just anywhere in the Midwest. I mean, yeah. Purdue fans from anywhere. Yeah. If, would Cincinnati, you, yeah. Louisville, all those yeah, places. I mean, it, yeah. it's not, it's a, it's a, it, it can be a one day trip for you. It could be a one night trip for you. Even like uh, Chicago people, it's right. like, yeah, it's not or a backbreaker. Or you can stay there as long as you want. You can stay after the game as long as you want. You right. can go down, you can celebrate Christmas there. You can do all kinds of things it's, you know, without it's, it being a, a really drain on your wallet. Yeah, it's, it's a real city, and you can have, you can get a real fan presence there, and then everybody's back for New Year's. It's like, it fits in kind of perfectly. So I'm, I am eager to see how that plays out because I think it's one of those things that bowl committees sometimes do look at as far as who travels well and things like that. And maybe that could be something that um, where momentum builds a little bit for Purdue in the future, but uh, it's going to be specific to each bowl game. You just wonder if this program gets to eight wins consistently, uh, what happens then? Uh, And, you know, Purdue's not viewed nationally as, you know, this great football program on a great fan base, but I certainly remember being at the Rose Bowl in 2001 when – I mean, it was just, it was filled with Purdue fans and not that Washington didn't have its share of fans, but I mean, Purdue came out in droves and, you know, a lot of reasons for that. But I do think if you get this football program up and running at a point where it's uh, consistently producing seven, eight, nine wins a year, then the the fans are going to turn out across, across the country, regardless of where you play. Bring us up to speed on where things stand from a personnel standpoint with Purdue. Last time we talked, we knew that um, Lorenzo Neal was done. Jacob Thieneman was still talking about trying to come back. Uh, there were some other guys who were in the mix as far as being a little banged up. Just where things stand right now. Well, Neil is still out. He's not going to play. He Neil, tore, yeah, we know, we know he's done. He yes. tore his ACL, which has caused a lot of shuffling 
on the defensive line. Jacob Thieneman has been practicing, and I fully expect him to play based on what we've been able to see in practice. Uh, he's been back in the last uh, you know, few days. Most of this week he's been practicing, so I, I fully expect him to play. Uh, Did he have to like get his weight up to a certain? Had to get his weight up. Had to just get his stamina up. He had to, you know, he also had a shoulder issue that he was dealing with, along with uh, the staff infection. So um, there were a lot of things that he had to get right. And he spent the first part of their bowl practices, and even prior to the, them even practicing, just going through a lot of conditioning things um, with with the strength and conditioning pr- uh, staff. So I'm just basing on the things that we were able to see during our time in practice, but there's many more hours of stuff that was put in by him. Uh, they won't have Kiwan Jones. Uh, he was a backup um, defensive lineman that probably would have slid into Neil's spot or even at least came in as a backup Rotated. to help help with the depth. Uh, but that's, to me, that's and it should be, it's the biggest concern going into this game for Purdue is what that defensive line – I mean, I know what it's going to look like, but how is it going to play? Because you, you've just – Neal's absence creates a, a big gap there from a space eater standpoint. You don't have a 315-pound guy to take on two two blockers like you had before. So Anthony Watts is going to slide into his spot. And then, therefore, Giovanni Rivera slides from defensive end uh, into a defensive tackle position – and now you have, uh, you know, Derek Barnes going to play more of a full-time Leo spot, which is their hybrid um, linebacker defensive end position. I would expect him to play that position, if not every snap, almost every, hmm. virtually every one, unless you're looking at third and 20 and you're only going to rush three type of guys. And then Kai Higgins will, will be on the other side of the defensive end. But the, the issue, I, you know, I think those four guys will probably hold up okay. But the issue is they can't go the whole game. Right. And first of all, Watts and Rivera are not really programmed right now to go the whole game because they've been rotating guys in there. Right. Uh, you know, Neil, for as big as big a man as he is, he was putting up a lot of snaps and holding up well in the, in the third and fourth quarter. So, you know, guys like Ray Ellis, they've talked about some freshmen getting in there. I just don't know if that's maybe for a snap, maybe for a breather. Yeah, literally a breather. Right, like a time, um, time for one breath. Maybe one series where you, you're not. I, I just don't think you're going to see wholesale changes coming in and out of that that defense. You're just going to have to rely on the guys that have played most of the year and hope that they are productive for you, and hope your linebackers can fill in and uh, clean up whatever issues there are. Uh, from the inside, but that's that's going to to me that's going to be the biggest challenge because you're you're going to face a a pretty decent offensive line, an SEC caliber offensive line, although they haven't put <coughs> excuse me they haven't put up great numbers rushing wise. It's still a big offensive line that's going to lean on you and try to win that that line of scrimmage, and you know Purdue's going to have to figure out a way to to not let that happen. And I think while the while the guys up front are going to be really important, I think this is probably a bigger game for the linebackers. And you do get Thieneman back, which he's been really good in run support this year. So you're going to bring him up a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage uh, on, on a lot of these plays. Offensively, they had a couple guys who were they were playing through injuries, essentially, and that included just, just guys who had the, the usual bumps and bruises. There were some guys, I guess, who missed some time. But does this feel like a more – 
they'll be able to take a more complete offense or a more healthy offense into this game? Yeah, I think uh, the, the the guys on the offensive line, uh, uh, you know, Grant Grant Hermans and Eric Swingler are both both have been practicing uh, a lot and been rotating in on the in the the left tackle spot. So I would expect them to to play uh, and be ready to go. Uh, everybody else on the offensive line seems to be doing well. You know, other than that, you know, Rondo Moore hasn't uh, practiced this week. Um, he's probably just dealing with some some minor uh, illness issues. Uh, I don't think there's any really thing like from a physical ligament, arm, leg standpoint wrong with him. He's also taken a, you know, taken a bit of a beating this year. So they've given him some extra time off, but I fully expect him to, to be out there to play uh, in the game. But, but other than that, I think the offensive side, other than the, the two offensive linemen uh, are, are pretty well healthy and, um, they're at a point now in practice where you're just you're trying not to get anybody injured. Um, I think they have one. They're going to have a walkthrough on Friday. They don't practice on Saturday, and then Sunday might be their last big practice where they're in pads mm-hmm. and doing doing football kind of things that you would do during a normal game game week situations. There's been very little hitting going on with the, with the veterans. It's all the all the major hitting has been done with the young guys in the scrimmages uh, after practice, which Jeff Brown really wanted to do this year to, to get those guys ready uh, to play. He felt um, he felt that that contributed to their 0-3 start a little bit, that he had a bunch of guys playing early in the year that were not used to game speed. Mm-hmm. And he's just trying to get as many guys that are not going to play in this bowl game or he doesn't think are going to play in this bowl game, just get them up to speed with the reps. But the veterans have been taken care of, and uh, I think everybody for the most part is going to be good to go. But they could have done that last year. I mean, it was the same scenario last year. He did, but he just – they also didn't have – they probably didn't – I know, they didn't have probably enough to scrimmage the way they're scrimmaging now. Yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. Because most of the guys that they were using last year were actually still playing. Right. Where – now they've been able to kind of fill out the roster with with uh, freshmen that didn't play this year, but giving them an opportunity to get some really and, – and it is really live action. It's not it's not two-hand touch. Mm. It's not flag. It's you catch the ball, you're tackled, and there's another guy coming to hit you as well. And they let, they let them play. Mm. They let them play to to a point. And it, it's it's been pretty spirited. And – have no idea if it's going to pay off for them. We won't know that until, you know, you might see a little bit in the spring, but you're not going to know it until some of these guys get on the field in 2019 and did that did that benefit them. Well, that's the old adage. Coaches always talk about, oh, these extra practices always help you if you're getting to a bowl game, if you're getting into the NCAA tournament. All that extra time uh, in practice has this, this payoff. I've always thought that that's somewhat true probably. It all still just depends on the each individual player, though. Is that guy – does that guy do what he needs to do in the offseason to keep himself ready? Does he not have to make some kind of crazy position switch next year on, at the verge of the season? But it would seem, like just common sense, it would seem to be a beneficial thing just to get these extra reps in, especially the way that Purdue is choosing to do it. Well, it's also just a sign that their program is moving forward with better guys, um, better players, and now they can afford to do this without sacrificing guys that are going to play in your, in your final game. So we'll talk a little bit about Auburn. This is the team that Purdue is going to play. I was a little bit surprised to see that in the storied history of Purdue sports, I don't think they've ever played 
they've they, they've rarely played any SEC teams really, and then they haven't played Auburn before. They hadn't played Alabama before. I don't know if they've played LSU before. It's so like all these these storied L- these. You can look back through their history, and they've played a lot of teams from a lot of conferences. But for whatever reason, there wasn't a lot of overlap with the SEC. That's why we need a Big Ten SEC challenge. Maybe that was <laughs> get, a creation. That was a creation of a guy, a writer, many years ago that he thought. He was taking his cue from the uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge mm-hmm. and thought that it would help the Big Ten at the time uh, when they were playing a bunch of FCS opponents to have a Big Ten SEC Challenge second, third week of September. And therefore, you know, you, you get on the map a little bit and you're, you get yourself prepared for the Big Ten season. Obviously, Jim Delaney didn't listen to that. <laughs> well, there's still time. It's going <laughs> to depend on whatever uh, – w- it may be one of those things that's on the back burner. They're just waiting for a sponsor, if you will, They're waiting for some TV <laughs> channel, some network to step uh, up and BTN say, "BTN two, right?" Yeah, the the, well, the both, BTN both, SEC both conferences network. have their own channels now, right? So, that might actually complicate something like that more than help get uh, it done. Really, I don't know. The SEC team home. It's on SEC network. Big Ten networks uh, home. Look or, at this. You're already. It's, you're just giving the way away. It works now. Look so. at all the consulting fees you just flushed away right there. You just gave the whole thing away. Um, but anyway, uh, so a team that, that Purdue fans and, and, and well, Purdue media, frankly, are not that familiar with, but um, they it, kind of the opposite trajectory, really, for Auburn this year. They came into the season with, I think, really high hopes, expecting to probably finish somewhere other than Nashville for this for this coming week, and things didn't necessarily go according to plan, although they lost to they lost some close games to some really good teams along the way just uh, so just what are your impressions of of auburn and what they're going to bring to the field next week well as you mentioned i mean they were um, highly regarded they were one of those one of these teams um the experts uh, talked about at the beginning of the year as maybe a uh, a fringe college football playoff team if things went right you know because you know they played washington which is ranked number six at the time in the season opener and they, and they beat them on national television. So, you know, they, they sent a message early that they, at least what we, what we saw early was that they were going to be one of those teams, but then, you know, they lost to LSU by one point, um, you know, got, got beaten pretty bad at Mississippi state, you know, three weeks later, uh, probably suffered a crushing loss to Tennessee the next week. And that probably took them. It did take them out of any, really strong postseason yeah. hopes at that point. And, uh, you know, they also lost to Georgia and they lost to Alabama, which are not bad losses, but the Tennessee loss is the one that, that sticks out. And it's probably the reason why they're in Nashville. You know, if they, if they beat Tennessee and they lost that game at home, uh, you know, maybe they're, you know, they're probably in a different, they're in a different bowl right now. But I, I, I do think that this probably is a better matchup for Purdue than, what the other potential matchup was going to be, and that was Mississippi State. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have some really uh, beyond impressive defensive numbers <laughs> that they put up this year. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought if Purdue was going to go against that, that would that was going to be really – I mean, it would have been a fascinating game to watch from Jeff Brom's offense trying to go against this high-level SEC defense, which has almost shut down everybody this year. <laughs> Uh, but now, but Auburn still presents going to present a challenge because they're going to be more athletic. They're going to be bigger. Um, they probably got more veterans uh, across the line than Purdue has. Uh, so a lot of those still those elements still come into play. So Auburn may not be as excited to be there as Purdue. I think Purdue wins the battle of 
the team that's most excited to be there of the two. But it doesn't mean that Auburn won't come ready to play. And they've Auburn's also had some uh, chaos, dis- dysfunction <laughs> among its coaching staff for whatever reason. You know, they're trying to get rid of their head coach. Gus Malzahn. Aren't they always? It well, seems like every all, team yeah. in the SEC well, except Auburn or except Alabama is trying to get yeah. rid of their coach every who's two years. Who's the guy that gave him the thirty-two million dollar buyout or whatever it is? I mean, okay, that's the reason you can't get rid of him. Well, hey, you got to do something with that money because you can't give it to the players. No, you can't give it to players. Uh, you can't just you can't just sit around. That that they, just that looks improper. Yeah, they did. They just seem to have, as as most SEC programs do, they just seem to have turmoil around them for whatever reason. And, you know, they lost their offensive coordinator to, of all places, Kansas, which doesn't seem like a step up, even though Les Miles is coaching there. Uh, so they're they're just, you know, how what's their mindset coming into this game with all the changes they've made, the all the stuff swirling around their coach? And um, so it, it's it's – that's to me, that's the hardest thing to read. I know Purdue is excited to play. I know Purdue is – putting forth everything it can to win this game. I just I don't know if Auburn's doing that. And maybe their talent is so much better than Purdue that they don't need to do that. I, I we're not going to know that till game day. But they um it, it will be a it will be an interesting matchup just from that standpoint of uh, as far as the energy and the enthusiasm that each team is going to bring on on that Friday. Well that's one of the age old arguments is you know oh a six and six big 10 team is nothing compared to a six and six sec team just look at who they play every week that, well, that I mean, sort of thing and there's, there's probably there's a lot of truth said for yeah, that there's yeah some, some truth in that and you know they don't play the same schedules but also Purdue's not playing li- uh liberty or <laughs> whatever alabama state either so uh you know i think purdue from a schedule standpoint from at least from a non-conference schedule standpoint probably had a little bit better one than uh than uh, than Auburn did, but you know Purdue played an SEC team, not what you would think as an SEC team, even though they are in the SEC right. Missouri, right? Uh, which you know is not, you know, I don't think Auburn's anything like Missouri, but you do get a, you know, there there is some comparisons there that you could that you maybe that maybe you can lean on. So as you said before, just on paper, the place where Purdue seems most vulnerable is up front in this defense, even though their linebackers have been pretty steady. Obviously, the defensive line, just a lot of personnel changes there in a short amount of time. How do you see Auburn being able to challenge Purdue? I mean, because obviously it can potentially compromises Purdue from a couple ways. It it hurts you from that first contact situation in, in, in run defense, but it also potentially detracts from a pass rush, which is kind of been there sometimes and not there at other times, depending on how Nick Holt draws it up from week to week. Well, even if you had your full alignment of defensive linemen, your pass rush would still be a concern. Correct. That's I guess that's yeah. a better way. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know losing Lorenzo how much that is going to impact that part of the game, other than he, he, he was able to plug up the middle and on occasion win some battles to put some pressure on the quarterback to make him move or, or maybe even sack him. Uh, so, but you are also taking someone off the edge that's that is more experienced there and bringing them inside to fill that gap, right? So, but uh, you know, I think you 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 put some faith and trust in Nicole to scheme to scheme this thing and dial it up. You have this is not a week. This is they had more than a week to prepare for this, and I think that's a benefit. It's a benefit for Purdue the fact that they've had a month to get ready for this. Now again. They don't have the same talent level, so you do have to scheme. You do have to do a bunch of different things, maybe to to present 
uh, as as some like to say on the offensive side, some eye candy out there to to, to, to fool the quarterback and fool the offense of what's actually coming. Uh, it'll be curious if we're going to see a lot of blitzing here from Nick uh, to try to maybe gang up on the on the offensive line a little bit and gang up on on that offense and try to you know disrupt their quarterback or is he going to play it you know more safe because he's got some some less experienced guys playing up front so that that to me that'll be one thing really to watch of you know how he how he goes about attacking this uh, this Auburn uh, offense which I, you know they have an experienced quarterback in Jarrett Stidham you know he hadn't had a great year uh, from uh, you know a number standpoint and all that but he's he's considered a guy that will play in the NFL one day and so there but you know that could apply to almost anybody nowadays in the NFL <laughs> when you look at the who was it that signed uh, oh Gruden signed Oakland signed some guy that played at Buffalo this year right I I don't know Peterman but, yeah Nathan Peterman yeah yeah as long as you don't take a knee you can you can get on a quarterback spot on a roster but yeah. this guy has some talent uh so I mean Purdue's going to be wary of that and when you look at trying to match up Purdue's cornerbacks with bigger receivers you know it's something they've had some issues with this year uh whether they're not playing tight enough or some other factors but uh, and, and Purdue d- hasn't done well in past defense this year when you look at the numbers. They're one of the lowest-ranked teams in the Big Ten. Um, those numbers can get skewed, and, well, is it because teams can't run on them? Well, no, teams have been able to run on them yeah. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But they you know, have some issues, and part of that is they just haven't been able to get a consistent pass rush all year. So Purdue's going to have some matchup issues, but you know, I think Holt and that staff – are going to are going to be good enough to to do things to throw that offense uh, that uh, Auburn offense off balance. When I think of Auburn, I think defense first, and it's not again not because I've necessarily followed this program this year's team that closely, but just in general, um, I guess maybe other than you know Bo Jackson or whatever. In my lifetime, I've, I've always felt I've always thought of Auburn defense first. I guess I think of the the whole SEC that way in, in some ways a lot of times. Um, where are they strong defensively? And how's that going to challenge Purdue? Well, um, they do they do get a lot of sacks. They they rank uh, in the top fifteen nationally in sacks. So Purdue's offensive line and all the protection uh, issues there have to get cleaned up uh, to give Blau uh, plenty of time to 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 throw and give the running game a chance to to get going. They're strong at the linebacker spot with Deshaun Davis. Uh, he has well over 100 tackles. He was up for some national awards. Um, you know, they've only allowed seven rushing TDs all year. Uh, so if things, if you're getting down there close in the red zone and you're needing to run the ball, which we've seen Purdue have some troubles on third and one, especially and then especially on fourth and one near the goal line, that, you know, that may not be the best course of action <laughs> for them uh, coming up. And, they, they, they appear to be a really good red zone team when you look at the numbers defensively uh, that they don't uh, uh, they just they just don't allow uh, you know teams to score inside the red zone especially touchdowns and they're second in the nation in uh, in red zone efficiency defensively only allowing 32 percent or so uh, of teams to score touchdowns in there so you know I, I think you know Purdue's going to have to um, probably hit some bigger plays 
down, you know, from farther back to maybe to get in the end zone. But also just when you get in there, you're going to have to be efficient. And the key is going to be just coming away with points and no matter whatever fashion it has to be. If you have to kick some field goals, then you got to kick them. But ultimately you're going to have to score some touchdowns. But this, this, this Auburn defense appears to be really good at the closer it gets down to the goal line. And, you know, and in some respects, Purdue's defense has played that way a little bit this year where they've, they've given up a lot of yards between the 20s, but then they don't, they don't break all the time once, once a team is in the red zone. So when I think of, of this from an offensive standpoint for, for Purdue, I, I'm, I'm eager to see two things. Number one, how do they come up with new ways to get the ball to Rondo Moore? Because you would think that you know Auburn's now had a while to study for this game, and on top of that, probably has the caliber of athlete that can maybe limit him a little bit more than, than some of some other teams that Purdue has seen this year. And what kind of trick play is Jeff Brom going to dial up? Or <laughs> actually, we should say plural. I think we're going to see. More than one. I'm going to set the over-under at like two and a half on, on trick plays that we see. I would probably compare Auburn's athletic ability on defense, probably similar to a Michigan State, where they're going to be physical. Uh, they're, going to, they're going to come at you hard. Um, so will that game be a learning experience for Rondell Moore in this offense? Because I thought Michigan State did a good job they didn't um, shut him down, but they no, bottled him up. They, they bottled him up. They didn't let him have a lot of yards after the catch. Mm-hmm. And I, I would expect probably the same philosophy there, unless they just think they're good enough where they don't need the double teaming. Because, you know, in their world, in the SEC well, they may, world. Make you prove it. Is well, yeah, how I but in the, it. in the world of the SEC, Rondell Moore has come at you every week. I mean, it's, it, this is nothing new right, for them. That's somewhat true, yeah. Right. So do they approach it like they would approach any other game to say, oh, that guy compares to player A from this team, player B from this team, whatever. And not that they don't respect him, but this is something they, I would venture to say that they see every week. So this is not new for them. But, you know, you're right. How does how does Purdue figure out a way to get him the ball in space and allow him to do the things that he's done against Big Ten teams this year? And that will be really something to watch. And if and if they are bottling up, bottling him up like they did against Michigan State, then what are what are your other options? What are you who are you going to then? Can Wright and Zico continue to make plays down the field? And how much do you um, how much are you going to lean on your tight ends in this game? And you're, you're going to need some sort of a running game, but when you're just talking specifically the passing game, the might the opportunity there for a Bryson Hopkins and a Cole Herdman uh, along with your perimeter receivers, might have a chance to produce some bigger games here. When you look back over the course of the season, I think you'll see that big moments for Purdue often coincided with big moments for either Terry Wright or Isaac Zico. I think one of those two guys has to have a, a big game in Nashville. Um, so kind of wrapping things up, you know, Purdue, if they were to win, obviously they can they go 7-6, and six, they'll beat an SEC team, they'll have another you know two bowl wins in two years after having not been in a bowl for a long time. The obvious, you know, momentum continues from there but i also think it's a situation too where a loss doesn't hurt you that much going into this game i think purdue still gained a lot from this season almost regardless of what happens next week it's almost a um i'm sure they don't see it this way you've got guys who are seniors on this team this is their last bowl game and you can never really take anything for granted you never know that for sure that you're going to get another shot but um a a moment where purdue is kind of going in with um not nothing to lose, but but the pressure isn't on them as much as it might be on on another team. 
Yeah, it's not it's not crushing if you lose. I mean, you also have to see how it all plays out. I mean, one thing that I guess we we know almost for certain, and although there are no certainties in in athletics, is that Jeff Brom's teams usually don't get pasted. Mm-hmm. Now they did at Minnesota. That's one out of twenty five at Purdue where they've really gotten they've really got pasted from start to finish. Right. There have been games that have ended up, the Michigan game last year ended up 18 points, and you know the game at Rutgers, they didn't look good, even though they still had a chance to win. But I mean, I, I think that's one thing you kind of take. It's like, okay, regardless, Jeff Brom's this team's going to be ready to go from, from the get-go, uh, and they're going to hang in there. They're going to keep fighting. They're going to keep playing. And it comes, you know, comes down to all these coaches' cliches where you do have to execute and you still have to – to do some things. I mean, I, I do like the fact that Jeff Brom is on Purdue's sideline in this game compared to Gus Malzahn, who's going to call his own plays this this game. For the first time this season. First time this season. That we know of. Right. Uh, yeah, who knows what he's been doing beforehand. Uh, but, um, yeah, there's, it's not – if you lose, it's not crushing. If you win, it, it, it's obvious that you do – you get a bump going into the offseason again. Uh, where players just feel good about themselves and you're building off a bowl win. And as we learned last year, it, it doesn't really translate. It didn't in this past year from, to the next season because Purdue, Purdue started off 0-3. And that had, probably had very little to do whether they won or lost that bowl game last right. year. It was just more of you had a lot of new guys playing right. different positions on that defense and they just got off to a slow start and plus they self-inflicted themselves to death <laughs> in a few of those games. But it's not it's not as pressing uh, of a game, you know. The you know it comes down to something really simple. Do you want to be seven and six or you want to be six and seven? Mm-hmm. And seven one and sure six, does look a lot better than the other. Seven and six looks a lot better. It makes everybody feel good about where your program's at, and as you prepare to, as Purdue fans hope that you're taking maybe a bigger step uh, next year. So uh, it's, there's probably a little bit more pressure on Auburn because can they go back? home after losing to a six and six before the game, a six and six big 10 team, or are they going to be shamed out of town because you lost to a six and six team? Well, or does back. the Eagle, does the Eagle have to, you know, take a hiatus after that? Come back to jconline.com next week and find out if Auburn has been shamed out of town at the Music City Bowl. I do want to say uh, that Auburn has some of the best names that I've come across in really? college football. We have a better than semi facts of, what the the Purdue linebackers? Oh, name much better than that. We have a guy named Smoke Monday. Oh man, that's <laughs> that's brilliant. We have a defensive end named Big Cat Bryant. Now I think these are like made up names that they're they're able. Big Cat to Bryant. Use. That sounds like more of a, an Alabama name than a. No, uh, and then we have a, uh, a left tackle who's six seven three zero seven. His first name is Prince. There you go. So Purdue's adding a king. Next year, out there uh, running back position. That's right. That's right. So, this was some of the names I just kind of came across. Uh, and these, I mean, these are guys that are going to play. These are on their depth that, chart. Yeah, those, those are, are depth chart guys. Those, those are, are those are two deep names. The one, the one, uh, the one uh, benefit for Purdue might be that uh, their uh, one of their defensive linemen. Uh, the position is called Buck. It's not his name. It's the position, Buck. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Nick Coe. He, he he appears to be doubtful with the wrist injury. He had surgery probably a week ago and is not I don't think he's expected to play right now so that could help Purdue on the on the defensive uh, uh, in, in trying to attack their their defensive line so they have some cool names Purdue doesn't really have any 
cool names like that right now. Maybe they'll be part of the next recruiting class where they get, you know, maybe a smoke or a big cat on their team. I think the first thing you do is you find the, the, the talent, and then after that you worry <laughs> about getting cute with the names. So uh, Auburn has definitely found the talent. Now Purdue's trying to – we'll see if they've gotten to that level in about a week. You know, if you ever get to the Rose Bowl, I guess you can have any name you want. That's very true. <laughs> uh, well, I am Nathan Baird. Follow him, Mike Carmen uh, at Carmen underscore JC. I'm adding Baird JC. Uh, find us wherever you find podcasts and and subscribe, uh, rate, uh, download, send us messages. We want to hear from you, and we appreciate you listening. So everybody have uh, happy holidays, however you choose to celebrate those. We will talk to you possibly from um, some hot chicken establishment in Nashville uh, next week.